Hello and welcome to the New Hope Church Podcast. Don't forget to check us out online at www.newhopechurch.tv and we'd love to connect with you on social media at New Hope Church TV. Thanks for listening and we hope you enjoy. All right, I want to welcome you to New Hope Church from wherever you happen to be, worldwide or local. Uh, welcome. I'm joined today by my uh, studio audience that broke out of curfew and quarantine, uh, saying they don't have a fever. Would you all give yourselves a hand for being with me? I have 249 people with me today. And we are, we are glad to have you along for the ride today. I hope and pray that you and your family are doing well. As you might have heard, the World Health Organization has declared that this virus is a pandemic, <clears throat> which sounds pretty scary, but uh, there's a possibility, uh, depending on new cases, that uh, we might be meeting online again next week. Uh, and I understand what's happening. The authorities are simply trying to keep it from spreading, and I can appreciate that, okay? And we want to be good citizens, we want to be good neighbors, and we want to play our uh, positive role in this. But let's continue to pray for the folks that are affected, um, for, for, for those folks that uh, are sick or are quarantined. And in fact, let's just pray right now, Lord, use this situation for your glory. I pray, God, that you would heal those who are sick, protect those who are well, um, for those who can't work or their job has shut down for a little while, or whatever the situation is, I pray that you make a way for them. You're a God who makes a way. Please make a way for those who are unable to work right now. Calm our hearts. Help us, Lord, to be anxious for nothing. Can I get an amen to that? Anx anxious for nothing. All right. Today what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to continue the Reclaim series. Now, I was supposed to teach this particular sermon next week, but we kind of switched things up really at the last minute. Um, so we don't, uh, so, so just hang on. So some of the things may or may not make sense as we go here. Um, we have listening guides available for you today. <clears throat> Just text uh, LG to 642-123, LG to 642-123. Or if you are watching online, you can click the button there on the page that you got to the live feed from, and there's an online listening guide right there. And I did it just a little bit ago, and uh, it works. There's a listening guide right there. And do you believe me? There's a listening guide right there. Um, <clears throat> but anyway... And, and at the end of the listing guide, then you can email it to yourself so you can have a copy of it when you're done, all right? So what we've been doing is this series is we've been walking through the book of John. We've been looking at how a brief encounter with Jesus can transform and can reclaim a life. And today we're jumping out of chronological order. We started last week a little further down the line in John. Uh, this week we're gonna go backward to John chapter two. <clears throat> when we plan this series, I called dibs on this passage. I called dibs on this passage, and I did so because of the subject matter. This is the story where Jesus turns the water into wine. And I know from feedback throughout my years in ministry that the only thing that some people hear in this story is the word wine. <laughs> like Jesus put a big green neon sign on the side of the liquor store for them to come right in. But, but today, I'm gonna show you the deeper meaning and I hope you go with me on this trip today. 
This is the meaning that I believe that Jesus had in mind. Now we're gonna make two passes at this passage of scripture. And uh, the first pass, we're gonna stop a whole bunch and I'm gonna explain some things to you about the story. And then we're gonna circle back and we're gonna fly over it real quick one time and I'm gonna give you three observations about the wedding servants, okay? So here's John chapter two, beginning verse one. You can just watch it here on the screen with me. <clears throat> it says the third day, on the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now, what day is it? Third day. So, third day happens to be which day of the week? The day, the day is Tuesday. Tuesday. Thank you very much. If we're working on this. You sure you don't have a fever? Um, <clears throat> that's because the days of the week are based on the days of creation as are found in Genesis chapter one. Sunday would be day one, Monday day two, Tuesday day three. And on day three, God created the plants and the trees and, and the fruits and the vegetables and so forth. And listen to me now, Jesus is creator God. Jesus is creator God. And uh, in Colossians chapter one, beginning verse 15, I won't get it exactly right, but it says, he, he, everything that was created was created for him and through him and by him. Everything has been created. Talking about Jesus Christ. So Jesus is the creator. And now on Tuesday, he's about to again make something out of nothing. A for instance would be for us <clears throat> to make something out of nothing. You can't make chocolate milk out of just milk. You have to have another ingredient, correct? Doesn't matter how hard you stir the, the milk, it doesn't become chocolate unless you put the necessary ingredients inside. And the same thing would be true with, with, uh, with, with wine. You can't just make water into wine. It's two different things. And so for you to make wine, there's a, <clears throat> out of water, creation has to take place. In fact, creation has to take place, and you have to remove the water, basically. And here we are on a Tuesday when Jesus originally created fruit, and he does it again. Now, the text also points out that Jesus' mom was there. Her name is Mary, as you may know, and she's about to become a major, a major character in this story. Apparently, they're at the wedding of a good friend or a, a family member or somebody in the community that everybody knows because it seems like everybody was there. Uh, in verse two, it says, Jesus was also invited to the wedding <clears throat> with his disciples. So understand that weddings back in the day in this part of the world lasted for at least a week. It was a big deal back in the day. And when we go to the Holy Land, <clears throat> which we were supposed to go to the Holy Land next month, or maybe a little bit after that, and I'm so glad that God stopped us because now everything's kind of falling apart, but we'll, we'll re-up and figure it out again. But our Holy Land guy that we have every single time, his name's Tony, many of you have seen Tony, but he tells us about weddings when we're there, and he says that weddings still last, at least in his community, and he's in a Christian community, they still last for a week or more in the Holy Land. And it's not just a week of the bride and groom standing at the front of the room with the pastor asking them questions for a week. That's not what's happening. What's happening is they're having different people come in for meals and celebrations, and, and so there's a lot of people coming and going all the time, different family, different friends, and so forth, and so it just lasts a long, long time, and that's just awesome. I'm so glad they put so much emphasis on weddings over there. I'm so glad that we don't do that here. <laughs> I like the American version, which is do you? I do. Do you? I do. We're done. <clears throat> Where's the food? Um, 
Hashtag America. Uh, so you've got the community coming and going, and this happens, verse three. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. They have no wine. Now she's not telling Jesus what to do, but she's putting the ball on the tee. Sort of like at your house. You, you understand this, when, when you say, honey, the trash can is full. <laughs> Technically, you did not tell your spouse to do anything about the trash can. You could not be convicted in a court of law for telling your spouse to do something about the trash. But it's implied. Here are the facts, something needs to happen and someone needs to make it happen, hint, hint. How many of you are familiar with the language of hint, hint? Anybody, that kind of communication. Okay, Jesus obviously was too because he took the hint. Verse four, and Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. First of all, let's deal with this. Woman, now when we studied the story of the woman caught in the act of adultery, Jesus called her woman, and it sounds harsh, it sounds harsh here. Woman, what are you talking to me for? Okay, that's what it sounds like, but that's not what he's saying here. Woman back in the day was actually a term uh, of affection to someone. So he's talking to his mom here, he's being nice to his mom, he's like, mom, mom, come on. What, what do, my hour has not yet come. Now, what does he mean by my hour has not yet come? Many people believe he's pointing to the hour of his crucifixion. He was following a plan. And once he starts doing miracles and showing everybody who he is, then all of a sudden everything changes for him. He starts getting the crowds. He, he's put under scrutiny of the religious leaders. This all might speed up the process of his arrest and his crucifixion. So he's careful not to publicize his deity at this point in his ministry. And, and, I, I, and I've, it's not just because he didn't want to die. Here's the reason I think he, he didn't want to rush this. is because he's got a bunch of guys that he's trying to train. He's only got about three years to do it. And, he, and these boys need all the time that he can give them. They got a lot to learn because they're gonna take over the earthly ministry of Jesus when he leaves and then they pass it down when they're about to go and they pass it down, they pass it down, it gets to us. Now we're doing this same ministry, but Jesus had to train them, okay? So his mom kinda sorta wouldn't take his final answer. Instead, <clears throat> his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you, do whatever he tells you. Now good for her, that she didn't say, Jesus, you do what I tell you to do. She was mom after all. She could have played the mom card. That's a strong card. But she didn't because even though she was the mom, she knew that he was the son of God sent from heaven. That's a lot to think about right there. And, and uh, if you want to see kind of the process and what she had to think about when she said yes to this whole deal is back in Luke chapter two, uh, all about the conception of Christ and, and uh, the virgin birth and so forth. And so even though this is Jesus's first miracle, really, according to John, this is his first miracle, Mary somehow knows that he has the capacity, the ability, and the power to do anything, anything. And so she directs her attention not to Jesus, but Jesus is still in the frame of the picture of this story. She just looks at the guy standing over there and says, do whatever he tells you to do. 
Verse six. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. Now let me give you some historical background here. These jars typically held water that was used only for ceremonial washing, a symbolic act cleansing a person from sin or symbolically cleansing them from sin. It was not to take a bath in. This is not the kind of jar that you would get in and you would clean up and get the dust of the road off of you and you know, get the sweat off of you. you. You wouldn't take a bath with these, but it was sort of, sort of like a bath. They, they would, usually these, these pots would be filled, these jars would be filled with fresh water. Then when it came time for purification, they would be dumped out into a cup or a bowl for washing your hands and so forth. Or since there's so many of them, I think that they probably went into a mikvah, M-I-K-V-A-H, I believe, mikvah. And a mikvah was like, and I try to think of a way to describe it, and this is all I got, like a hot tub, but built into the ground, square usually. And they would fill them up with water. And I saw so many of these when we were in the Holy Land. There's a bunch of them on the south side near the southern wall of the temple. And it used to be when you went to the temple that you had to go and you had to strip down and go down inside one of these rooms, dip all the way under. And once again, it wasn't to take a bath. It's a ceremonial thing, a ceremony that, you know, is symbolizing you being purified. You go under the water, come back out, put your clothes back on, you go into the temple and So it was all about the symbolism of the act of purification. And on this day, these jars were empty. They were empty. According to the text, I'm going to give you a hint. According to the text, how many were there? Boom, you were correct. Six. Six. Let me tell you something about six. Uh, In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, and and I won't get it completely right, but uh, God created man. He said, let us make man in our own image. In our image, let us make them. Uh, Male and female, God created them. That was on day six. On day six. We were created day six, which would be what day of the week? There's another quiz. Friday. It's Friday. Just in time for the weekend. Day seven is Saturday, which is God's day of rest uh, from creation, but a day of completion or perfection. That the number seven means perfection or completion in the Bible. And so you can see man was born on day six, which means he's not yet complete without God, okay? Uh, so, so day six, six ends up in the Bible being man's number. And the reason I say that is because Revelation chapter 13, verse 18 says uh, man's number is six, and it's talking about the mark of the beast there. It says 666, but man's number is six. So I want you to follow me now. We've got man's number thrown into the story, and I don't think it's by coincidence that it's in the story, along with man's attempt to be clean before God as illustrated by these six jars that were used for the rites of purification. And listen to me now, it's all empty. It's empty. Man and his attempt to be clean before God is an empty way of doing things. I'm just telling you guys, this story is not about wine. It's about a collision of God sending his son who's going to bring the new covenant of grace by his blood, and that new covenant is going to crash into man's old, empty way of attempting to get right with God. Verse 7. 
Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. Spoiler alert here. It became one, all right? So they filled up the empty jars with water. Immediately the water turns to wine. And this is where some people kind of get sidetracked and think this is all about wine. It isn't. You fast forward to the very night that Jesus was arrested. So just follow me here. We're on Thursday night. Jesus gets arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane where he's praying. He's praying there. Before he was in the garden, and and from there he's taken out, he's beaten, and finally put on the cross, dies on Friday. But before he's in the Garden of Gethsemane praying for you and me, he's he's in the upper room. And in the upper room, he's with his disciples, and he's having a meal with them, and he instituted at that meal with them communion or the Lord's Supper, which we, as a church, every time we have a service at our campuses, we have communion available every single service. And I encourage you when you're at our campuses to take communion. And uh, at home, at home, you can take communion today after this service. That would be awesome to take communion. But over in Luke, at the Last Supper, Jesus said this about the cup that he was passing there that night. This is before he got arrested here. This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Our Holy Land Guide tells us that when you squeeze a grape, the juice that comes out is known as the blood of the grape. And the blood of Jesus came out. It came out. Uh, if you remember this, when he's praying for you in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's in such anguish, the Bible says that he sweat as though it were great drops of blood. So he's bleeding out as he's praying so hard. And then they take him, they beat him, they hang him on the cross, and that's where he bled out totally and gave up his spirit. But you rewind back to this wedding, back in John chapter 2, in this first miracle, and what's happening here is that Jesus is going public. He's not just putting on a little show for everybody. He's not just trying to be the life of the party. He's not just trying to save the hide of the wedding director who didn't get enough wine. He's showing us that a new covenant of grace that he's gonna purchase for us with his own blood is better. It's better than the old covenant based on man's works. And this epic battle between grace and works is still being waged today. And it's still being waged in someone listening to me right now. But hopefully grace is gonna win by the time we're done today. Verse nine. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, wait a minute, everybody serves a good wine first, And then when the people drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. Meaning, you typically typically get the best first, but in Jesus, the best is saved until last. I'll talk more about this on Easter because I think it's important because so many people believe that God is grading them on a curve of their goodness. And so they try to be better than the people around them so that God will love them more. And a lot of people think that they're Christians because they're in Texas or because, or, or because they've tried to do good. They haven't killed anybody and they haven't robbed a bank lately. But in reality, if you're thinking you're going to heaven because you're a good person, you're still washing with the six jars of works. And I'm telling you today, there's a better way. 
And it's called grace through Jesus Christ our Lord. And it is a gift from God. Verse 11. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Now, many put this miracle way down on the list of amazing things that Jesus did, but John puts it first in prominence. Why? Because there's so much more to this miracle than people usually see. This is a small miracle. In comparison to other miracles that Jesus did, I mean, Jesus made you know, the blind see, he made those who were lame walk, he raised the dead, and here he's just making refreshments for the wedding. That's what it feels like anyway. But this little, sort of little miracle had a big meaning because Jesus is showing us that something better is coming. Up till that time, people had been working and working and working, and it wasn't working. It was empty. And now through the blood of Jesus, a new covenant is coming, not based on our works, but based on his love and his mercy. Listen to me. God saved the best for last, and the best is Jesus. Okay, that was the first pass through the text. Now I just want to fly over it, and I want to give you Three observations, three observations about the wedding servants. The first one is this. They knew Jesus was the source. They knew that Jesus was the source. How did they know that Jesus was the source of this miracle and the source of the the good wine now? Because they saw Jesus do it with their own eyes. They were up close and personal. Everybody else at the wedding was visiting or eating or playing cornhole or jingo or whatever they did at the weddings back then. But these guys were right there when it happened. Even the wedding coordinator, the guy that's supposed to know everything, didn't have a clue. And and once you know this story, this may become your favorite verse in the whole story. It is mine in the whole story. Uh, John chapter 2, first part of verse 9. When the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine and did not know where it came from, and I'm going to cut the verse off here, but you're going to get the point. Though the servants who had drawn the water knew They knew. The guy running the place didn't know. The servants who were up close and personal knew. So the guy running the whole wedding takes a sip and he's like, where did this come from? He didn't know. But the servants knew because they saw Jesus do it. Which leads me to say to you, if you want to see Jesus work in your life, stay close to Jesus. Now I can't help but think about our church family and we have been through so much as a church and Uh, there were times, and I've, I've mentioned some of these, and times when we didn't know if we were going to make it. And there was that one time we didn't have any money. We were short $3,000, which was half of our budget for the month, and didn't think we were going to make it. A guy comes in and gives us his Suburban, and I sold it for, for $3,000, and we continued on. I'm just saying there's so many moments like that. But it's hilarious because now people will show up, and we'll have people come and visit. We'll have pastors from other states and so forth. They'll come to our church, and they'll say, wow, you must have some big hitters in this church. <laughs> they don't know how the story unfolded. But we can look at it. Those of us who've watched and seen what God has done, we can say, we know how it happened. God did it. Some of you maybe had a prodigal child at one time, and you cried over them. You wept over your child, and you prayed, and you got down on the floor on your face, and you prayed through the night, wondering where they were, maybe pulling off the side of the road after a phone call, beating the steering wheel with your fist, saying, God, please get through to them. 
And then there was that moment when God got a hold of him. And, and now when people see him, they're like, wow, you're young, you're, your son is such a wonderful young man, or your daughter is such a wonderful young woman. And you're thinking, ah, uh, uh, you don't know the half of it, man. This is a miracle. Because when you're up close, you get to see the miracle. Maybe somebody looks at your marriage and says, wow, you've got a great marriage. But you know that there have been many times through the history of your relationship when you didn't know which way it was going to go, but God showed up. And you saw the miracle that he did. Maybe, you, maybe when you were pregnant and there were some complications and so forth and you didn't know how it was gonna work out and God showed up and that baby is fine and running around and getting into things now and people are like, yeah, that's a beautiful baby. They don't know that that baby is a miracle. Listen to me. If you wanna see God do a miracle, you gotta stay close to him. There'll always be people who say about your situation, no big deal. That's not a big deal, so what? Uh, luck, fate, whatever, I've heard it all. But we servants who stick close to Jesus Christ know this about our Lord. He saves, he reclaims, he does miracles in people's lives, amen? amen. All right. <clears throat> then the second one, they understood that oftentimes the best time is a bad time. The best time is a bad time, and don't hate me for that. It's not grammatically correct or anything, but I didn't know I was gonna be preaching right now. Uh, if there was not a problem at the wedding, there wouldn't have been a miracle at the wedding. You with me? If there wasn't a problem, the servants wouldn't have gotten to see Jesus work. And I don't like problems, I'll confess that. I don't like problems, I don't like viruses, I don't like hurricanes, I don't like pastors who drink out of Dallas Cowboy mugs in the house of God. <clears throat> we had the prayer partners come pray all over the stage and got some Lysol. Uh, but, but I'll admit that in my life, those times when I have experienced the presence of God the most or when I was going through something I wanted to go through the least. How many of you feel the same way? It's often in the good times that our attitude is bad. In the good times, we say, hey, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm gonna do my thing, don't rock my boat. I don't need a lot of faith right now. I'm good, I'm gonna take my six jars of do it myself and I'm gonna get on my way. But then you run into a brick wall, but then, then there's pain, then something happens and you are down on your knees again, begging God to show up and God is so good to us because you know what God does? He shows up and he shows out. Thank you, Lord, for that. They understood that oftentimes the best time is a bad time. That makes sense, right? Then number three, they knew Jesus started with what they had. They knew that Jesus started with what they had. So many stories follow the same outline that Jesus starts with what a person has. And if they trust Jesus with what they have, then he'll do something amazing. Now the servants didn't have what they needed to make wine. They didn't have the right ingredients. All they had was water. But you know what, that didn't matter. And you might be saying today, I don't have what it takes. In fact, I don't have anything. I got nothing. And I would argue with that. 
Because if you can just take this much, just this much, just a pinch, just a mustard seed of faith and add it to your nothing, God can make something out of it. But you gotta trust him. The miracle, friends, is in the trust. If it was up to us, most of us would fill up the water jars, man. We'd fill them up and then we'd stir like crazy and then when no one was looking, we'd throw in some Kool-Aid and some crystal light and try to make something happen. Gotta make something happen up in here. But here's the secret. Trust Jesus. Trust Jesus. You want grace? Trust Jesus. You want God to show up? Then trust Jesus. He is the one who can restore. He is the one who can renew. He is the one who can reclaim. And he will, if you'll let him. I want to pray for you. If you don't mind, bow your heads. Heavenly Father, we're going through some strange times, Lord. You know it. All around the world, things are kind of up in the air right now. Lord, it is my prayer and the prayer of all of us joining with me right now, Lord, that you would take care of those who are sick, that you would heal them, Lord, that you would help the doctors be able to find a cure for this, something that would speed up the recovery, uh, a vaccine, Lord, for everybody else. I pray for those who are quarantined right now. They don't, you don't even know if they're sick or not, but they're quarantined. And I pray that a lot of folks would join us online, God, because they got nothing else to do. And maybe that's the time when you're gonna show up in their lives. Lord, make it so. I pray for those who are right on the edge of some financial hardship because of this situation. God, please, Lord, come through for them. So Lord, I'm asking for healing. I'm asking God that you work this for good. You're the one who can do that. You can take what the enemy has meant to destroy us and you can turn it around and you can use it for good. And I believe it, Lord. So I believe, I don't know how, you're God, I'm not, so you're the one that's gonna figure this out. But somehow, Lord, you're gonna take this whole situation, you're gonna make something good come out of it. I pray, God, for our nation. I pray for the nations around the world, Lord, that you'd help them battle this. But I pray for our nation, especially, Lord, for our church, for our church family for the families in our community and around. Lord, I pray that in our faith that we could become stronger than ever before. That you would just do something in us as we, as we seek to follow you and what we do and how we handle this and how we minister to those who are going through things. Lord, for those who are listening to me right now, I mean, the virus that's a big thing, but Lord, in the grand scheme of things, what I'm about to say is eternal, and you know this, Lord, for those who are working, 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 trying to save themselves, I pray that today they would stop and they would receive your grace and your love through the sacrifice that Jesus made for them on the cross. And if there's anyone watching or listening right now who, who needs that. You can have that today. If you just reach out to the Lord, man, invite him in. Uh, just call out on his name and, I, and I'm gonna tell you something, he's gonna show up, he's gonna show up and he will save you, it's what the Bible says. 
And when we get back together again, we can baptize you and we can celebrate with you. But Lord, show them your grace today. I pray that they could sense it like never before. Those who've been working hard, trying to gain your approval, I pray that right now in this moment, that they would know that they've got it, that you love them because they are your child. And I pray that they would accept this grace that you have freely given to us. Lord, watch over us in the days ahead. Continue, Lord, to, to do good things even in the middle of this mess, Lord. I pray this in the blessed name of your son, Jesus, who gave his all for us and all the people said, Amen. God bless. If you enjoy the podcast, we encourage you to subscribe, share it with friends and family, or let us know by tagging us at New Hope Church TV on social media. We would love to connect with you. Thanks for listening.